All right. What's going on, everybody? Brian Zimmerman here, executive editor of Jazz's Magazine. Welcome to another episode of the Jazz's Conversations podcast. A very special episode because it happens to be our favorite day of the week, Monday, Miles Monday, to be more specific. Now, longtime followers of Jazz is know that with the Miles Monday was something we started uh, early on in those uh, crazy pandemic years, uh, in which we were joined by an exceptional co-host, the one, the only Vince Wilburn Jr., Miles Davis's nephew, an amazing drummer, an amazing record producer, to talk about all things Miles. And uh, we decided to bring this program back as a podcast, which means I am joined once again by the only one and only Vince Wilburn Jr. Vince, say hi to the folks at home, sir. Hey, folks at home. Hey, B Zim, <laughs> the only one, the one and only. Vince, it's so good to hear your voice again, man. And I'm glad we are uh, doing this again, podcast style. B, I'm, it's great to hear your voice, man. It's, it's great to be back, man. And we are back in a major way, uh, kind of celebrating a major milestone release for uh, the Miles Davis estate. Uh, many of you out there in listener land may have heard of this release of a uh, previously unissued live recording from Miles Davis. It came out in June on Rhino Records. It's called Merci Miles Live at Vienne. Uh, this is an incredible album if you haven't gotten your hands on it. Now's the time to do so. Um, it was recorded in July of 1991 in France at the Vienne Jazz Festival. Um, really, sadly, just a few months before Miles Davis passed away. Um, so this is kind of an incredible document of late period Miles Davis work. And Vince was kind enough to assemble a little roundtable discussion about this album featuring some of the people who were involved. Um, and by that, we are about to be joined by uh, co-producer Florence Halfen, um, the keyboardist for this date, Darren Johnson, a uh, phenomenal keyboardist, uh, saxophonist Kenny Garrett. Kenny. Uh, Kenny. Darren, yeah. The original, that's right. The original the real Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of KG, hey, we should mention his new album coming out uh sounds from the ancestors is coming out august 27th on mac avenue records vince you and i both listened to this absolutely killing out beautiful record right yeah. and absolutely kenny wants to, kenny's going to come back and, and we're going to do an interview with kenny. very there, there you go future guest of the miles yeah, monday man. podcast yeah. um and ashley khan uh journalist writer educator scholar uh kind of a know-it-all on all things miles davis a great guy who wrote the liner notes uh for this project and he's kind of leading this roundtable discussion yeah, um, I, I love to i love to refer to him as ak-47 AK-47, <laughs> rapid fire with the facts, <laughs> right, right, with right, the knowledge, right, with the yeah. knowledge. <laughs> yeah, man. Good, so good, absolutely. We are uh, going to get into this conversation in a minute in which we talk about, you know, the new release and really Miles Davis as a leader and stylistically what this period meant for Miles about Miles in France and how much France loved Miles. It's a fascinating conversation. Can't wait to get into it. First, though, uh, Vince, I just want to thank this episode sponsors. One of the, these episode sponsors, This that would be NAD Electronics. NAD is renowned for its award-winning line of components for audio and home theater, which includes amplifiers, receivers, and turntables to minimize 
randomized feedback and skipping. Uh, NAD recommends citing the turntable where vibrations from footfalls and vibrations from your speakers are minimized. Mounting a shelf to an outside wall some distance away from your speakers usually works quite well. It's a good tip from NAD. Thank you for that. You can learn all about NAD's excellent products at their website, nadelectronics.com. Vince, anything you want to say about this episode, this release? Anybody you want to thank? Want to get yeah, a final word in there, BW? You know, yeah, I'd love to, man. Special shout out to Rhino Records, Alicia Yaffe, Mark Pincus, and staff. Um, full coverage, our publicists. Right on. And that ring, Gabby Hollander and Kristen Foster. <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, Miles Davis Properties, LLC. Aaron Davis, Cheryl Davis, and Daryl Porter. And the merch, baby. The merch. New Miles Davis swag. And we're sending you a package as we speak, BZM. Oh, that's beautiful, man. I've got some at home. I rock it almost every day. That Miles Davis sweater is sharp. That Miles Davis hoodie is sharp. The bathrobe looks nice. <laughs> Yeah, you man. got masks. You got all sorts of swag. Well, um, you know, it, the, the, the fans love it, you know, and and, and we like to. Uh, yeah, you wear that Miles Davis coming. love on your sleeve, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Vince, my man, what do you say we hop into this roundtable discussion, man? Love to be. All right, let's get into it. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you on the other side. Hey, everyone. Ashley Khan here. <clears throat> and uh, very, very, very excited to be talking with a crew of musicians and music producers today, focusing on a great Miles Davis uh, bit of music from 1991 called Merci Miles. It's been, uh, it's a live recording that was uh, um, uh, part of Miles's very last tour, very last international tour, just three months before he passed away. Um, we have with us, Two of the musicians who actually performed on that very concert from July 1st, 1991 in Vienne, France. And that includes keyboardist Darren Johnson and saxophonist Kenny Garrett. As well, we have the, the production team, the production A team that put together this, uh, um, I, I would say not reissue, but a first time issue of this music, um, including myself, Florence, Halfon from London, and of course, Vince Wilburn Jr., Neff, over there in L.A. Welcome, everyone. Hey, Ashley. Hey, everyone. <laughs> B, Kenny, D, Florence. Hey. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. So anyway, I just wanted to, like, kick this off because – you know, um, one of the things that comes to mind is that when when we revisit Miles's incredible 40 plus year career from the time he was with Charlie Parker all the way up to uh, his very last year in 1991, not often do the record labels focus on the music of 1991. And Darren, I know that you were only with him a few months before this music was recorded. What was special about that time period and knowing all of this incredible history and legacy that Miles uh, had created in the decades before, what, what, what was going through your mind being in Miles's group and what was special about that music? 
Well, in a nutshell for me, you know, like I like I always say, you know, I just felt I knew the music so well just from, uh, you know, going through college and then playing with a who's who of folks in, uh, in L.A. And I think that's how Vince sort of found me by, you know, just playing in these different places and thought I would be a good fit with the Miles experience, you know, but I just felt I knew the music uh, so well, uh, you know, from the 60s, obviously, you know, for, for, you know, for the 20, 30 years after, I guess. But, um, you know, the experience, it goes by in a, in, a, in a whirlwind. I mean, yeah, it was it was under a year. I probably got in at the top of 91 and by September uh, he had passed. Um, but, you know, at 65, they still packed a, a big touring schedule on him, you know. So, you know, three, at least three European tours and, uh, you know, a couple of very lengthy American tours. Uh, you know, carte blanche, I've been, you know, touring with a lot of these artists. So, but of course, somebody like Miles, you know, the red carpet is rolled out all day long, you know, but I, I could remember, you know, March 11th, you know, sticks in my head as the first time I, I, I got on the stage, you know, in Italy. And it was one of those things that, of course, you know, he decides not to play very much that particular night. You know, there were other nights we do a three and a half hour concert where he was just, you know, raging. But, you know, from that point, uh, till the Hollywood Bowl gig, it just felt uh, like he was a father figure to me. You know, he'd always challenge all of us um, and me being the young guy, but me having the courage to bring what I have always brought to the table, which is a level of, of feel and, and, and groove and things like that. You know, I just, he, he promoted that. And so that just, you know, made me feel comfortable obviously to uh you know to set sail as much as i as much as i could with yeah standing 10 feet away from an from an icon you know but look inside of his the small camp he was that father figure you know and he would he would uh talk about you you know at times but i mean there was just so much love there that uh th that's what i took from the experience Thanks for sharing that uh, that very personal perspective. Kenny Garrett, thank you for joining this us. This is Kenny Garrett. Oh, no way. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Kenny. Yeah, yeah can you hear me? Can hear you. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> Turn my mic up. Turn my mic up. <laughs> right. Kenny, the, the question I threw out is about, you know, 1991 and the fact that Miles, of course, had almost 40 years of legacy, almost to compete with, you know, uh, before uh, the music of that very last year, just three months before he passed away. Can, can you speak to that idea, the idea of, of Miles's, um, uh, you know, forever changing and forever pushing the music forward? And that idea of like, perhaps, you know, there were people out in the audience that wanted to hear So What, that wanted to hear sketches, that wanted to hear the past hits, but he wasn't giving them that. We were playing in Hawaii at the uh, Waikiki Shell, and uh, um, uh, Miles, with well, the power went out, and Miles decided to play the melody for Round Midnight. And I had been waiting for like three or four years to get a chance to play, you know, a standard with him. And uh, so the bridge was coming. I'm waiting for the bridge. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get this bridge. And before we can get to the bridge, the power came on. And we went back to playing the music we were playing. But the audience was going crazy at that time. So I was basically saying that, of course, people wanted to hear Miles play the standards and the tunes that they love. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard for the audience to change, you know, as quickly as the artists. 
What can you tell us about that night in France? What do you remember of uh, VN? And uh, I know it's only one show of many when you were with Miles in those latter years, but um, what comes to mind? Well, I can tell you what doesn't come to mind. I didn't think that that would be the last time we were playing France. I think that, uh, you know, to me, it was just a regular gig. You know, I was, you know, I mean, it was my big feature, you know, so it was like a regular gig to me. But I think, you know, when we got to Los Angeles, that's when it started. I started to feel something a little different. But in VN, it was just a regular gig to me. It wasn't anything that was out of the ordinary. Having heard the music, uh, Kenny, um, and I'm going to focus on you for a second now while we have you. Um, what's uh, you know what what musical moments uh, st stand out for you now that you've heard this recording? Uh, you know, and 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 take you back to that moment in time. Well, like I said earlier, um, it just basically you know we were playing every night, and so for me. I just knew I had a feature and, you know, I wanted to play some music, but when I listened to the music, it's, um, it's a little sad for me to listen to it because in some ways it's, uh, I realized that that was, that was, we were coming to the end and um, I didn't really expect that. But on, on a musical term, I think basically um, it just brings back memories, so, you know, standing next to, you know, one of the greatest trumpet players who ever lived. And for me, that's that's always great. You know, sometimes I don't reflect on those situations a lot. You know, I have a tendency to kind of keep moving. And I think it's good and bad. I guess I got it for miles. I just kind of don't think about it. I just keep moving. But just to hear it and go back, I was like, well, we were, we were playing that night, you know. But Miles was playing that night because he took out his mute and he, you know, he felt like playing. When he takes that mute out, then, you know, he, you know he's ready to, to do his thing, you know. And you can hear the beauty in his sound. Uh, which I think a lot of times we miss with with the mute, you know. But that's what that's what comes to mind for me. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, you know, and the the perfect example of that is human nature, and then time after time, uh, that you really hear a kind of naked emotion there, where he's not covering up uh, who he is, and you can hear the connection to who he was even thirty years before. Yeah, but he knew that the, the public wanted to hear that sound. And when he would take that mute out, it was like, oh, there it is right there, you know. And I think even for me to hear it, because sometimes, we, you know, it wasn't like a, every day that he would take his, you know, his, his mute off. But when he did, it was a treat. It was a treat for me. I was there for five and a half years. So, you know, people always say, well, how did you play with Miles so long? It's like, well, basically, I was like a sponge just trying to soak it, soak it all up. And uh, couldn't wait to, you know, try to experience some of those things, you know, and had a honor to be on the bandstand because you know my some of my heroes like you know Coltrane and Cannonball and I mean Gary Bartz and I mean a whole bunch of people had stood on the bandstand with him so just to have that opportunity for me it was always a blessing every night you know to to, to stand next to Miles. Darren I, I know that you know you and Kenny obviously had some very intense musical moments together and since you're both on here together is there um, any memory that you have of Kenny that uh, or a question for Kenny or whatever uh, that you would like to uh, bring up you know about those uh, last few months with with miles yeah so no I, I mean I just got another 20 seconds. I mean, all I can say is over these years, I've seen Kenny every time I go to New York, I try to give, he's on the list to call 
uh, I'll go out to New Jersey and, and grab a couple of voicings, chord voicings, and talk to him about Mulgrew uh, Miller. Uh, so, you know, now I love Kenny to death. You know, he's done some extra things for me in the way of playing on stuff that I have or just my, my hopes and things like that. Um, so, yeah, man, what's up, Kenny? I love you to death. You know that. Congrats on that record as well. Okay, we got to catch up soon, bro. Later, later. Hey, hey, hey D. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I want to say this, and we can put it in AK before you go any further. Hey, man, the fact that I saw Darren play and, you know, from playing with Uncle Miles, I, I knew I kind of had a feeling on, on you know, cats who were who were special. And, and I consider, of course, both Kenny and Darren super special. And so when the keyboard, um, 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 uh, spot came up, you know, Uncle Miles again said, well, hey, man, who you digging? Uh, you know, Darren. And Kenny and I go back, man. Kenny, remember the 80s? Well, I definitely remember the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and Kenny, we, I think Kenny, we would play opposite each I other. I definitely. And, and, and Kenny were, man, how could we get Kenny in the band when I was playing with Miles? You know, we'd, we'd talk about that, you know. So I I love both of those guys. Yeah, well, that's Kenny. Go, I'm sorry. Well, Kenny, actually, I I I thank you. I thank you again for you know even this. I mean, I'm not sure how uh, that you know uh, translated into getting the gig or not, but I knew I was trying to get the gig. And then when I would see you, I think I might have seen you in Italy someplace. And I was saying, man, what's up with that saxophone chair? But right, I remember right. uh, how actually how I ended up joining the band, which I like think a lot of people don't know. It's really I was auditioning for a French movie. Uh, that was me and Gary Thomas. And Gary Thomas came to me. He said, well, man, are you, um, would you like to play with Miles? I was playing with R. Blakey at the time. And I said, well, I would love to play with Miles. And so he said, well, here's the number. And I called Miles, but Miles wasn't there. He had a valet and he picked up the phone. And so he gave him the number. And then uh, Miles called, called me back later. He said, well, send me some music. But I didn't, I didn't think it was Miles anyway, but he said, well, you know, got on the phone with the, with, you know, the voice. You know, and I was like, yeah, this is Mogu Miller pretending to be Miles. So I didn't really pay it any mind. I said, yeah, but Mogu, because Mogu used to do it all the time. He would emulate Miles. And then I started saying, yeah, but this voice sounds a little different than me. <laughs> a little too real. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, I said, man, this might be really Miles. And so at that point, he said, just send me something. So I was working with Art Blakey. So I sent him some music with, you know, from Art Blakey, OTB, some funk stuff I was working on. And, um, then that was kind of the beginning of that. But then also when I got in the band, he said he was looking for me because we played in Berlin. It's a famous concert with Dizzy Gillespie, Freddie Hubbard, and Woody Shaw, and I was there. And uh, he was saying, well, I was looking for you. He said, I, I saw you on that video. So I tell both stories because I was just telling the first story until Miles told me about the other story. So that could have been the part that Vince, where you come in. Maybe he said, well, I heard the name from Vince. Where's this guy? Let's get him. But I mean, that was, you know, that was a great five and a half years I played with Miles and uh, one of my longest tenures with any band. And I, I really cherish that, that point and the respect that Miles had for me and allowing me to play that long on his bandstand. That's great. Hey, Kenny, you know, I mean, one of the other things about Miles was yeah. Miles, the band leader and how so many great talents and so many great um, artists kind of proved their, uh, the, the first blossom of, of their talent took place while they were with Miles. And, um, you know, you yourself have become a band leader of great talent. 
and uh, you, you've had this greenhouse effect on so many other players like Mulgrew, you know, who have come through your group and then gone on to their own things. Can, can you talk about what, what, what did Miles's approach to band leading uh, do for you? Well, I, I saw Miles bringing in whoever, I mean, when I first came in the band, it was, it was Foley, then it was Ricky Wellman. We kind of came in at the same time. So it was a change in, you know, the guards. But I saw that, you know, how he would choose his musicians, I mean, through the, through the musicians. He would say, well, he asked me, you know, I would, they were looking, Mino had left the band, and I recommended Rudy Bird. Uh, it didn't work out for long, but I recommended Rudy Bird. But he came to the musicians to see who are the guys, I mean, who, you know, who's playing out there. And I think for me, that's kind of what I've learned from a lot. I'll ask other musicians, i say, well, you, I'm looking for a drummer. You know any drummers? And he would say, well, they would say, well, check out this drummer. Well, check out this drummer. But I think mainly what I learned uh, about being a band leader, I learned from Miles and Freddie and Woody and Art Blakey, uh, because Art Blakey prepared me for Miles. You know, uh, and then when I got with Miles, I just watched him and tried to, uh, I, I mean, I didn't try to be like him, but I tried to to uh, to get what I could get from him. Because I remember when I first joined, he had some, uh, some clothes and he would give me his clothes. He said, well, wear this. And he said, well, be cool like me. But I knew I couldn't be Miles. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. But I, I, but I knew no, that wasn't going to happen. But I mean, because he said, well, be cool like me, you know. And, um, but I could, emulate, I could emulate him very well on his voice. I used to scare the guys all the time. But I, I, getting back to the band leader, I mean, I just learned a lot from them, you know, how to, you know, to approach the musicians, you know, how, because it was, it was different. You have to remember, um, Miles knew when you needed, he needed to talk to you. So, you know, he was riding in a separate car, then we were riding in, and then after the gig, uh, if I wanted to get to Miles, then I would start playing bebop songs. And then he would say, well, get Kenny. And he would call me in the room. And then he will start telling me these stories about, you know, uh, Charlie Parker and, and uh, Sonny Rollins and Coltrane. And that's how I would get in the room. Or, but, or if he felt that I, if any musician needed to be in the room, because he wanted to make sure that he shared that with everybody. Everybody got a chance to ride with him, listen to music and talk about music. So I do that. So I do it also. So, I mean, I learned a lot from now, you know, about, um, how I select the musicians, how I choose the music, you know, how I uh, have a tendency to not be concerned about what songs I'm choosing or what genre I'm playing. I'm just playing music and just trying to have fun playing that music. That's great. You know, uh, Florence, I want to get you back in the conversation. Do you have any questions for these cats, for, for, for Kenny and Vince, while, while everyone's here together? especially about miles in France. Well, it's, I think there were some really nice notes actually in the, you know, in the, in the line of notes, Patrick Seve who filmed the show has some nice anecdotes and so did um, the man who runs, who ran the, runs the festival. Um, any, any stories about miles in France, stuff he liked to do, you know, eat things he liked to do when he was on in France. Is that for Kenny? Or for me. It's for Kenny and Vince. Yeah. I know he loves salads. You know, the salad and, and, and salad niçoise. Salad niçoise. Yeah. Yeah. He you, and he he loved, you know, and Kenny, you, you could probably attest to this. When we when we knew we were going to Europe and to France, especially, 
he would he would have a, a, a kind of a, a giddy up like a, a he would be excited right Kenny you know I think he loved and and it's not a it's not a knock on 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 the United States and and music you know uh, concerts here in the United States but he would get excited about going to France and going to going to Italy to clothes and we he used to have us go out and get these fashion books these big thick books and bring them back and <laughs> and 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 and. and the days off that we didn't have a concert, he would look through the books and, and go to these these stores, you know. Of course, like Kenny said, he was he was a you know down on the fashion, you know, he was in into the clothes. So but uh but oh yeah, well, he, would you agree he, Kenny? he loved clothes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would definitely say that because I mean he's I mean, wherever we would go, he knew like the fashion designers there. His uh, his valet or his assistant would go out and, and get him painting stuff or get him, you know, things to uh you know to look at for paintings or for clothing. Mm -hmm. He always knew what was going on. Okay. And uh I think you know the salad Eastwise, I actually started eating salad Eastwise because of Miles. Me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> Me too, kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I started. But another another thing I used to do with Miles, as far as a little different than this question, was really swimming. Uh, we used to always mm -hmm. have a um, we always had a pool where we were, and so I knew Miles liked to swim, so I would always just like go swimming. I figured, well, that's how he stayed in shape. I was going to stay in shape like that, you know. But uh, you know, just the just the whole the overall thing with Miles, I think, is basically with France. He loved France. I mean, he he loved the culture. He always talked about the culture and the people. How it was a little different from the states, but he appreciated the people, you know, the way they treated jazz musicians in, in, in Europe. Agreed, agreed, you know, agreed. Um, you know, there's always that inevitable question, like inevitably, what would Miles have done had he lived past 1991? Where do you think he would have taken the music? And that's for both. Well, he was heading that way when he did the doo-wop. Yeah, well, he was already heading to that that direction when he was actually in the hospital when he started doing the doo wop project. Doo -wop. He was going towards hip hop. That's where he was right. going. He was hip. Yeah, he was going to hip hop. Yeah, he was going. To, he did doo wop, but he was he was heading that way because actually I was supposed to record on that, but he was he was in the hospital. Matter of fact, the last gig we played was in at the Hollywood Bowl, and he got mm -hmm. sick. So I stayed out there for a while, and that and then it was like it started getting like a couple of weeks. So I said, I think it's probably go back home. Because he was getting kind of quite long, and I couldn't. I was running out of money, <laughs> so I had to get on back. But you know, I think you know that's where he was going. Whatever was happening, he was going to have his ears to the ground and doing that. And I, I think that's what I learned from Miles. Really, just staying open to music. You know, even though I've you know I played with Blakey and all, you know, a lot of greats, Freddie and you know McCoy and different people. I I, I really learned a lot about uh, the appreciation of music and how you have to move because the music is moving. You have to change with it, you know, but still you have a, a deeper foundation and some of the things are just um, a, a different interpretation of that. You know, like I said, with Miles playing with a backbeat, but still playing those lines. I used to love to hear Miles playing his, 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 his lines, you know, over those grooves, you know. That's he would, he would get him in, right, Kenny? I, He'd I slip him in there, right? <laughs> Oh, he, he would get him in, right? Yeah. I'll be listening, trying to take him in too. Yeah. 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 And he he like on like on uh um is it see the human nature time after time he, he slips in automatic by the point assistance. Right. 
Remember that song by the Pointer Sisters? No, I de- automatic. I definitely remember that. Yeah, he he definitely slipped that in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know he was he was slipping a lot of lot of love a uh, lot of history in there. And sometimes we, you know I didn't know what it was, but but I would hear something like, "Wow, it's it's beautiful how he was able to, you know, to navigate through those changes like that." You know, and because hey, I Kenny, remember, did he ever uh, talk to you? Did he ever talk about birds? Yeah, he was saying that I. No, I'm sorry. Well, tell us to hurt my story. We we'll play bebop songs. He would call me in about bird. Oh yes. Well, I was the hurt was basically about how um, when 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 Herbie he saw Herbie. I think we had done like that that last gig in, in Paris, and he was telling Herbie. He said, "Yeah, Herbie, yeah." He said he play he plays all my notes and my wrong ones too. And I'm like wrong ones, <laughs> <laughs> but I think he was just basically saying whatever he was playing. I would play it back. And that's actually how it started. When I first started playing rounds, he played a line and I played it back. Tell me to play. He played a line and back. And that started happening. And I played, I could hear it pretty well. And I tried to, you know, play all the lines. Sometimes I had to catch everything, but. You know, you know, Kenny made a point of, of Miles being fearless. And always, you know, moving the music and and and, and making the evolution. Back. You know, Back. I'm not sure Yeah, we got you making the evolution. Um, I was agreeing with you, Kenny, about how Miles was 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 fearless in in, in changing the music, and he was going to do bop hip hop on on the record right after this one. But f- f- we have to say that he loved France, and he definitely loved the musicians that that played on on Messy Miles. And and like Kenny says, he would take individual musicians at any given night and kind of talk to them, you know, keep that that relationship. And that's 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 important for a band leader, you know. And a lot of people thought Miles was like the dark, you know, uh, uh, Prince of Darkness. But, man, he really cared about his musicians. And you can hear it in this recording, Ashley and Florence and and Brian. um, You know, Kenny, you played your ass off, man. You know, all you cats did. And so, um, thank you. You know, I, I um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but I loved Ricky. Ricky came, got the gig after me, and uh, I'm tight. I talk to his daughters frequently, you know. And we, and Florence Ashley and I dedicated the record to Ricky, uh, Kenny, you know. So that's great. That's um, great. He, you know, he's, he's he's missed by us, but but I'm just blessed. And I know I, I can't speak for Kenny, but I'm sure Kenny will agree. That what an honor it was to 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 be in the presence of Sir Miles Dewey Davis. Well, definitely, it was definitely an honor for five and a half years to so just like I said, stand on the bandstand every night. And I heard it. Uh, I told people there weren't any bad nights; they were just greater nights. You know, just to hear him play. You know, and. Um, I, you know, now that I'm talking about it, I kind of you know get a little sentimental about it. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, right, wow. right, Ken. You know, right. really hey, Ken, we got to write a song called Salad Niswa. I, I haven't thought about it in a long time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, yeah. Kenny, we we'll, love we'll you, man. We'll work on that. <laughs> Florence, yeah, man. Ashley, Brian. Well, I don't know what you said. Give, give us some of Kenny. Take us home. One word to describe my Uncle Miles. Yeah, I couldn't hear. I didn't hear what you said at the end. 
Give us one word to describe Uncle Miles. Can you hear me? That's what I said. He was a legend. Cool. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. And we're going to edit, and then we're going to send all yeah, of this to you. I can you hear you me? We got you. Okay. We got you. Can you hear me? Yep, we got you. Yep. We're going to edit it and okay. send it to you. Florence, any closing right. thoughts? Okay, no, that sounds you good. So you are absolutely Florence, I got one. Florence, you being an artist and a record producer, yeah. you know, how did Miles touch you? And, and, and you know, you oh, describe I... Miles. In your, in, your, you know, in your words, in my, in my own words, Miles has been in my universe all my life. You know, in my, I've, but actually, working on his on his catalogue has actually made him very alive to me. As a musician, I often think of what Miles would do in certain situations when things go wrong. You know, well, when you're playing live music, there's stuff can go really right, but all sorts of things can go wrong. Like you know, the the amount of glitches we've experienced just on a video call, you know, added to add this to sort of, you know, four or five of musicians or there's bound to be things that go slightly wrong and an audience, sometimes the audience can, you know, all the, and I, I've kind of, kind of admired and, and watched and learned, you know, what he did and I kind of sometimes think, okay, what, what does Miles Davis do in such a situation? Just simple things like, Vince, you were, you were with me in London when, um, Vince played with me in London. Um, we played together at a gig I did in, at a, in a small bar. I played the harmonica. I played blues harmonica. And I was playing Watermelon Man on the harmonica and I picked up, you know, I had a lot of harmonicas lined up on the floor. It was dark in there. I picked up the wrong one, played a bomb note and just made us, you know, just made it look like if I meant it and then just turned around to the rest of the band. You know? There are, like my Uncle Master, there are no mistakes, right? Yeah. <laughs> If you make fear, them, fear no mistakes, there are none, or something like yes. that. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. You, it's beautiful. beautiful. Yes, it was. It was. It's been, um, and I've, I've, it's been one of my favorite times of you know, is to work on Miles on Miles's records as well, and to work with Vince. Vince, man. Excellent conversation. I could have kept listening for hours. I mean, there's just so much to talk about with a release like this. It was pretty incredible being it, and it brought back so many great memories of, of, of the chief as we affectionately refer to Uncle Miles and Miles. Um, you know, the renditions as when we were in the band and how we played them. And then when Darren and, and Kenny and Richard and Foley and, and those guys, you know, uh, uh, joined the band and played it. It's it just it's, it's it's from the heart, man. And 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 Uncle Miles was always on top of it, man. You know, long live the chief. Absolutely. No, he's in great form here. And I mean, you got Miles Davis covering Prince tunes. You can't go wrong. No. Um, again, the name of the album is Mercy Miles Live at Vienne. It's out right now on Rhino Records. Uh, go check it out. In the meantime, Vince, it's great talking to you again. We're going to do more of this. Let's do it, B. You know where we are? Absolutely. Florida Coming. and California. <laughs> Everywhere. Coast to coast. Celebrating coast to coast, baby. the music, the legacy of Miles Davis. That's how we do it here at Jazz Is. Big love, B. Vince, it's nice to be in the uh, co-pilot chair with you once again. Um, I'll see you next time, brother. Hey, man. All love. Shout out to Jeff. Jeff shout, Jeff. Out to shout out to producer Jeff. <laughs> Thanks for making <laughs> Thanks, the magic B. happen, Jeff. 
So long, Vince. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Thanks for the love. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone. Peace. Bye. Bye.